As I said earlier to the other service, uh, some of you I know I'm familiar with, I know you, but the church has grown so much over the last several years that I know I don't know many of you, you don't know me either. So just quickly, without taking much time, my name is Pastor Mickey. My wife is Christy over here. We've been married for 26 years. We've been at the church here, uh, supporting and helping Pastor Mark and Amy and just in attending the church. And uh, since 2008, so we've been here for 12 years. First three years we're here, I was on staff as a, uh, one of the associate pastors, and uh, then I did work in clinical psychology exclusively for about eight years, and now I'm still doing that, but also working two days of the church and doing counseling here on Thursdays and Fridays. And so it's an honor to uh, stand on behalf, first of all, in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be able to bring some word and also uh, in, in his stead and, and, and in extension of Pastor Mark uh, this morning. Uh, so you won't receive that gift today, but you will, you, you will the Lord will uh, give you what you need, amen, for this hour and for this time based on what he's put in my spirit and I believe needs to be in your spirit and I believe it's the right word for the right time for the day that we are in. Amen. So let me just pray real quickly. Father, I thank you that your word does not return void. Thank you, Lord, uh, that it accomplishes that which it was sent to do. And thank you, Lord. One word from God will change our lives forever. And thank you, Lord. Our lives will be a righteousness and peace and not torment and evil, but peace and joy and life forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm going to be speaking to you today uh, about uh, basically two things, about being strong in the Lord and uh, being nice. <laughs> uh, how many of you know we live in a day that where it's time to be nice? <laughs> and uh, that used to be pretty easy, but sometimes it seems like it gets more difficult and difficult for various reasons, right? Uh, but... Uh, that does not uh, negate or mean anything. Can you, hey, Pastor, can you do that? Thank you. <laughs> Did I say that nice enough? <laughs> uh, yes, that does not negate our need for walking in the Spirit and walking in Christ. So, uh, my, my daughter, uh, when she was in uh, elementary school, that was uh, the motto of the, the, the school that she went to. She attended first through third grade in Colorado, Colorado when we lived there. But their motto was work hard and be nice. And so in essence, that's what we're talking about today. Work hard and be nice. Be strong in the Lord and be nice. Uh, we're going to start... Uh, and looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1. That's the first scripture we want to look at. And what we're going to be seeing is the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy during an incredible period of cultural upheaval, perhaps similar in ways to our own culture today. And in their culture at that time, Christians were being imprisoned and executed for their faith in Christ. Jewish converts were being ostracized from their communities and subjected to persecution. Paul himself knew that his life at any time, in essence, was in jeopardy based on the positions he took, based on the opinions he stated, and most importantly, based upon the gospel of Christ that he preached. 
He knew that his life could be threatened, in essence, at any time. And so he also knew that one of his disciples, a person that he had mentored, a son in the faith whose name is Timothy, who was very dear to his heart, he knew that Timothy had begun to grow weary. Timothy had begun to grow timid. The culture in which he was living in was so hostile toward the message of the gospel that he was beginning to draw back a little bit. He was, he was becoming a little bit indifferent. He wasn't as hot and zealous, if you would, with the love of God for the community and the world to which he was sent. He, he was not so cognizant of the power of God in his life. And so amidst the fear, despite all the danger and the threats that stood you know, before them and that they faced, Paul did not draw back. Paul did not panic. Paul did not, he was not overwhelmed with his emotions and saying, oh man, can you believe what's happening in our culture? Can you believe what was said? Can you do this? Like, no, he did not do that. Instead, I love what we're going to read in just a moment. He, he ministered to a younger brother who he knew was struggling and he did, we're going to see as we read this word, he did not beat him up. He did not correct him in a harsh way. Instead, he put him in remembrance of who he was. He put him in remembrance of what he knew was true about him and he was endeavoring to encourage him in order for courage to stir up on the inside out of him so he could walk in what he knew belonged to him. Okay, and I believe we'd, do, we'd, benef we'd benefit if we did the same with one another and the same to ourselves. So let's read this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, no, I'm sorry, chapter 1. 2 <laughs> Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, I love this part here, it says grace, divine enablement, mercy, when you don't deserve it, the product of that, Peace coming right to you. Grace, mercy, and peace, not from me, Timothy, but from God and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. That's another good word. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you. You're not far out of my mind. I'm thinking about you. I love you. I care for you. I believe in you. I remember you in my prayers, recalling the tears, and I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. How many of you sometimes when you know you've been maybe sliding a little bit, you've been a little bit timid, you've not have been as bold, not been walking in the light as much, you may not be so willing, like, oh yeah, I'm excited to see them, but you know what? That may be the thoughts that we face but that was not the heart of God that was in Paul. And he said, I'm so looking forward to you. I will be filled with joy when I see you. I'm so I'm looking forward to that. And he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. 
See, he's putting something in. He's not taking something out. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded that now lives in you. You may have lost some of your confidence, Timothy, but I'm persuaded it's in you. For this reason, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He remembered himself. Hey, my hand, my physical hand, when you were filled with the Holy Spirit, it was my hand that prayed over you. I'm not giving up on you. I want you to be strong. And he says this, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, does not make us nervous, faint-hearted. We may be tempted in our world today to be a little timid, to shy back and not, not stand for the gospel as much in fear of being shamed, canceled, ridiculed, pushed aside, shut down. Paul said, the work of the Spirit of God in our life does not make us timid, but gives us power. Not so much power in an unhealthy, dictatorial way that would rigidly rule over people, but power in the sense of command and control, some type of order in my life. Things are in order. He's given unto us a spirit of power and then love and self-discipline. To what that speaks of self-control, restraint. Not under the control of someone else, but under the control of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, so do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And see, when he's talking about having this freedom in Christ and having a spirit of power and love, he's not talking about like just saying everything that's going to make everybody happy. But he's not talking about being brash and just offensive either. He's talking about walking in the spirit and walking with a disciplined mind, walking with the fruit of God. And he goes on to say, when you uh, heard what you heard from me in verse 13, what you heard from me, keep the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus and guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. I tell you what, nothing should be more uncharacteristic of Christians, that's you and I, than fear. God does not want us dominated by fear. He does not want us dominated by anger. He doesn't want us dominated by unhealthy emotions of dread and worry. God wants us to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of his, the effect of his work in our life of love, power, and a sound, self-disciplined, sound mind. <clears throat> to what? King David, he knew about 
fear. He, he, he knew about living in dangerous situations. And sometimes I'll say this, sometimes your dangerous situation, it may not be the society outside. It may be within your home. I pray the Lord it's not, but it might be. Some of you might have experienced some of that when you were younger. You may be experiencing some of that now. But God does not want you under the rule of fear. God does not want you under the rule of torment. God does not want you under the rule of trauma. God wants you at peace. When King David, he lived during a certain period of his life, the one he was dedicated to the most, Saul, which should have been the source of his love, was also a source of trauma. Bam, I'm going to throw that spear at you. Oh, yeah, we're good, David. Bam. And then he's trying to kill him. It's like source of love and source of trauma. It's like this is confusing. But, you know, in the midst of that, David had learned already from facing Goliath, from facing the lion, from facing the bear. I've come through dangerous settings. I've come through dangerous things. And I've learned to trust my outcomes and to put my hope in the Lord. In Psalm 56, 3, when he could turn nowhere else, he said, when I am afraid. He didn't say he wasn't afraid. He said, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, O God. I praise your word. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? Once he refocused on God, he said, what can a mere mortal, a mere person or man do to me? David understood that when our focus remains exclusively on the turmoil, on the problems, on the chaos that occurs sometimes in life, when, when our mind and our focus remains on that to the extent that that those worries are creating within us fear and just obsessive, encumbersome emotions. It's a clear indication that we are no longer trusting in God to the degree that he desires. Not that he's coming ready to condemn us, but like, let me help you. Let me minister to you and help stir up your trust and, and refocus you. I'll say this in Isaiah 41.10. We'll look at that. Uh, when the nation of Israel was experiencing a time of fear, fearful chaos and national uncertainty, they were even temporarily removed from their land. God sent the prophet Isaiah. Word of one word from God can change your life forever. God sent the prophet Isaiah to them, and he said, don't be afraid. Even when they had opportunity to be, he said, don't be afraid. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. I believe what I, I know the Lord knew they were afraid, but he was just saying, basically, you don't have to be afraid. I'm going to strengthen you. I know you're afraid, but you don't have to be. I'm going to see you through. Trust your outcome. Trust your life with me. So even at their worst point, God was still making a proclamation. I will preserve you. I will protect you. I will see you through. I tell you what, it is imperative that you and I, as we're living in a societal climate that's permeated by fear, by numerous other not-so-pleasant emotions for various reasons, it's so important that you and I 
Do not allow ourselves to be so overwhelmed and so caught up and, and just hooked and snagged by those things that it ends up destroying our peace. And there's nothing more the devil would like to do than try to create division, break families up, and, and, and break friendships up and destroy our witness. That's where, something in a little bit, that's where our nice part, being nice, <laughs> is going to come in. It's very important to be nice, and it's very important to be strong in the Lord. So I tell you what, because you and I, as Christians, as believers, we have something that the worldly system does not have. There's no politician, there's no government policy that can deliver and offer to the world what you and I have, what we have here today. And that is our lives are aligned with the resurrected king. Our lives are aligned with, it, with eternity. Our lives are aligned with the kingdom from heaven. Our, this, this earth is not our home. We're passing through. We are sojourners here. And we have a hope beyond what we can see. And, and there, there's peace. There, there's joy. There's pleasures and life forevermore. I tell you what, I'm reminded in Joshua chapter 1 in verse uh, 6, 7, and 9, there was numerous times, three different times, where the Lord said to Joshua, said, be strong and of a good courage. I tell you what, God knew that he would need strength in what he was going to be facing so that he wouldn't grow timid and weak and turn back and grow shy and helpless and indifferent and apathetic, but know that he would stay full of the fire of God, full of the zeal of God for the purpose and, and pursue the plan of God and for the best, not only for him, but for his nation. And so he was encouraging him to be courageous. You and I could use some encouragement to be courageous. That's a part of being strong. That's a part of having the strength of the Lord working in us. Not boisterous, not in our own, just, oh, he's real bold. Well, he may just be real loud. May not necessarily be just bold in God, bold by the Spirit of God. And so, uh, often when we think about courage, we think about, you know, a fireman rescuing a little kid or, or helping an, an elderly lady or gentleman or someone coming out of a out of a burning building that's like a super ordinary or extraordinary rather type feat right we, we very uh, identify with that and, and as being courageous but yet you know as believers as Christians you and I we make courageous decisions every single day there's there's opportunity to be courageous in the ordinary and just the plain life that we live we we make choices that show whether we're courageous or cowardly we choose between the right thing and a convenient thing it may be ethically it may be legally it may be morally but we choose to make a wise decision or a foolish decision we choose to stick with a conviction or cave in for the sake of comfort or pleasure or approval we we face these choices so frequently sometimes that we sometimes even forget we're making them and if we don't watch it we'll just 
be hooked in and just going with the flow of things. But I want to remind you, you and encourage you, you make courageous decisions every single day. I know this may seem silly and petty to you. And I'm, you know, Pastor Mark has made a video on mask and all that. You can watch that and stuff that. But I know, you know, I mean, I'm, that's not my favorite thing to do to, you know, wear the mask and all that. But I know the other day I was, I was coming out of a some store, Walmart or something, and I put that on. It's like I was, you know, about getting to where I was about out. I wasn't quite out. I was like, Bleh. you know, and I was like, you know, something just checked inside me, you know. It's like, uh, why don't you just chill out? Why don't you just be nice? I don't care if you want to wear the mask or not, you know. I mean, I wear masks and gloves at work every single day when I'm at the clinic. So, like, I don't have any problem with that. It's just like, uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, just Lord check me. So I'm just saying, uh, yeah, we, we, have, we have opportunities every day to be courageous and not just be nice. So the Lord helped me be nice on my way out. That may seem petty to you, but still, it's those little things that spoil the vines. Could have stole my joy. Could have stole my life, right? So it takes courage to follow Christ. Some of you, maybe you've never accepted Christ. Maybe you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never repented from your sins and said, Lord, please forgive me for all my sins. I want to accept you into my heart. I want to walk with you. I've never given you all my heart. You know, it takes courage to raise your hand on an invitation like that, knowing that, you know, it's very likely they're probably going to ask me to come forward and pray at the end. And we will, (laughs) if that's you. But hey, a lot of people in this room have done it. That takes courage to do that. You know, it takes courage once you have made the decision to be a Christian. It takes courage to continue to be a Christian. It takes courage to continue to make the right decisions and not just make a convenient decision. You know, it takes courage to be married. It takes courage to say, I do. And sometimes it takes more courage to say, I still say I do. Right? (laughs) Is that true? Right? That's right, right? We've been saying it for 26 years. Praise the Lord. Right? We're strong and courageous, right? Amen. The Lord has strengthened us. Hallelujah. He has. Hallelujah. So it, it, takes, it takes courage to follow Christ. It takes courage to make meaningful relationships. It takes courage to maintain and keep meaningful relationships. In order for intimacy in a marriage or some friendship intimacy level to occur, What's necessary? Well, some form of vulnerability, some form of uh, just honesty, just some form of like, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. Yeah, I've got no temptation taking you as such as is common to man. Yeah, I'm feeling you, brother. I know. I get that or sister or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm not above what you are. And, and it's like, there's, yeah, this is a part of me. And so as we share different parts of ourselves, sometimes we may be a little embarrassed or a little ashamed, like Timothy. Like, oh, I don't really want to talk about that or admit that. But, like, but you know what? When we can bring things... No matter if it's like, uh, nobody know about that. Or if it's just something a little simple. If we can bring things out of the dark, put it up on the light with a friend or someone, you know what? God can, can use those relationships to strengthen us and to help us and to help us be strong with one another. Iron sharpening iron, right? And walking in the spirit with self-discipline and walking with a spirit of fear and power not overcome by negative emotions 
I didn't really have this plan to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, to where, you know, sometimes it could be females, it could be males, either one, but you know, like say on the, on the topic of pornography, right? Sometimes there, there, there's obviously a, like a, a physical uh, temptation there, uh, but you know, sometimes people, because they're just like, oh, I'm just aggravated. I'm just frustrated. I'm just angry. And that was a trigger. And they're saying, there I am, you know? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm, what am I talking about? I'm talking about not being overcome as you're overwhelmed, but letting the peace and the grace and the mercy when you don't deserve it and the grace to help you to, to, to live this Christian life. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ not me, it's Christ that lives in me. So it takes courage to be strong in him and to exhibit that, that people see it. Now, how's courage going to come? Is it going to come simply just because we want it to? Or is it going to come because, oh, on a Wednesday night, hey, who needs courage? Come on up. It's Wednesday. Woo! Everybody pray for courage. Hallelujah. Okay, go. You're free. Go courage. I'm not, I'm not, you know, knocking that at all. I mean, I love that. And, and would that help? Absolutely. But that's not the end of the story. Courage comes and develops as we continue to, to trust our outcomes with God to where he's stretching us. He's pulling us out of the familiar places, whether it's in family, business, relationships, whatever. He's taking us out of the comfort zone or he's maybe he's putting us in relationships with somebody that we disagree with completely. And we may have different worldviews, we may have different opinions, and we may never agree. But he's stretching me, and he's pulling me out, and like, what are you going to do? Are you going to represent me? Are you going to let me flow from you? Are you going to ruin your testimony? Are you Are going to blow your witness? Are you going to ruin the friendship? Right? These are things that we have opportunity to exercise and practice in our day so that we can show the love of Christ, right? And we can model Christ. And one of the, the, the themes in the last part of this message is, is that are we more concerned? I'm not saying you are. I'm just asking the question, right? Are we more concerned with being right or are we concerned with ministering the love of God? I'm not talking about in a weak, wimpy way. We're like, oh, anything goes. I just say whatever pleases anybody. No, Paul said, come on, Timothy, come join with me in the suffering because I'm going to be saying some things going to be making people a lot of mad, a lot of people mad. I'm not talking about, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're so right. You're so right. You're so right. You just make L peace with everyone. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about is our motive to where, how do I survive this, <laughs> this, this chaos in the world? How do I maintain my sanity and walk in love and, and keep my peace? Amen. So one of the ways of doing that is uh, regulating uh, our emotions, right, through the Spirit of God and uh, exhibiting relational courage. How we manage or how we fail to manage uh, troubling emotion and troubling feelings can have a tremendous impact on our witness 
and what we're going to experience in our relationships with others. That's why I want to talk just for a few minutes as we're getting closer to the end. I want to talk a little bit. A few moments, we'll look at some scriptures on anger, okay, on anger. Let me say this, you know, uh, you know, I have a weed eater. Do everybody know what regulation means, right, 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 right I mean, but, but like, you got to regulate a, you know, like, uh, my weed eater needs some regulations. Like sometimes, you know, when I'm using it to mow the yard, it has the, it has, a, you know, I think you're supposed to start it like five times, and then you're supposed to, uh, before that, you're supposed to move it from number three to number one, pull five times, then move it to number two, and then pull two or three times, and it should be starting, and then you move it to number three. How many of you know that if if I let fear motivate me to like, oh God, this thing's not starting. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to get the yard mow this afternoon. Then I'm going to do it tomorrow. And then I get angry. It's like, oh, and it's like, and I just start yanking and yanking and yanking. Instead of pushing the car, the little button 10 times, I push it like 20 more times thinking it's to get more fuel in there. And it just mm, pulls like, how many of you know that I'm doing that in my own self-effort, my own strength? Right? And how many know that's probably not going to work? It's probably going to be flooded, right? It's probably going to be overwhelmed, right? Well, similarly, our lives, it's important that sort of like the weed eater, that we, we have just the right amount flowing through us and not overwhelmed or over under, right? Or either way. <laughs> Let's look at Proverbs chapter 29 regarding anger. Anger says, this is on the screen, says an angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Only fools insist on quarreling. And John, you have that other scripture we had earlier on the Proverbs 16, 32. You guys still have that one? Uh, There we go. I love this one. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. I tell you what, that, that previous verse said avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. If you think it doesn't take strength to walk away or to do something different to you know put my mask back on for that next three seconds (laughs) it requires strength to not do the norm just let it all fly and let it go and start something sensible people proverbs 19 11 sensible people control their temperature their temperature control their (laughs) temper sensible Sensible people control their temper. I love this part. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. They don't earn respect by pointing out everybody's faults. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. In other words, that's wrong, and I know it, and I'm right. (laughs) But right now, maybe we'll talk later, but right now I'm interested in the Spirit of Christ and love winning here. Amen. Love wins. Praise God. I know here at the church, some of the staff were, well, all the staff were, were working on values and strategy planning and all that. That's been going on for a long time. But 
That also would apply to our individual lives. And I do some work in that area. So it's like I have this written here. It says, if we have clearly articulated our values and connected with our calling, few things will enable us to walk out our calling before with people, quite like learning to maintain a measure of emotional stability particularly during difficult times when others with, with less control allow their raw, random emotions to contribute to the chaos. To what a common denominator of fear and anger is that uh, it, it moves us out of a place of trusting God with outcomes. I'm, I'm, I'm under threat. I'm afraid this is going to happen. I'm mad about it. I want to change. I'm going to do something right now. I'm going there. It's going to happen. It's like, well, okay. You may not be the person that's better than conquering a city. You may be moving hastily as opposed to trusting God to do what you can't do. No argument, no debate. How about just letting the spirit of Christ be represented in our lives and let him work in your own life and in your friend's life or your, your, your spouse's life, your parent's life, your, your co-worker's life. In order for the love of Christ and the, the things we're talking about on regulation of emotions in a healthy way, in order for that to occur and to be nice in, in, in some of the day that we live in, Super imperative that we follow what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5. All of you, I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot live the life of Christ in your own strength. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ himself living through me. It's his life flowing through me. I love Luke 18, 27. What is impossible for people is possible with God. What's impossible for, for people? What's impossible for me? It's possible with God. What's impossible for me to communicate or whatever? It's possible with God. We always have a choice to do things in our own strength or to rely upon God and his ways. If we're going to communicate with others, particularly those with different views, different opinions, uh, where we disagree, we must remain in Christ. If we rely exclusively on the self-effort and, and our own smarts and our own enticing words of wisdom and debate, we're not going to see the fruit of Christ-likeness that he so desires in our lives. Uh, we, all, we must decide how we're going to respond when we're placed in situations where like, I don't agree with you, I probably never will. You probably never will agree with me. Or maybe we will. 
Regardless, we, we must decide, am I going to conform to the world's way of communicating or relating? Or am I going to, in motive and perspective, or am I going to conform to Christ? The world's way and the, un, the, the unlike Christ's way is, is I'm self, self, self-centered. I'm demanding my right, my selfish right. My, I'm quarreling. I'm fighting. I'm, and let me say this. I'm not saying not standing up for something that's right. Some of you believe it. I'm not saying that. I'm just talking about from a selfish, self-centered way. I'm, I'm, I'm quarreling with you. I'm always fighting. I'm being judgmental. I'm being self-centered. Love is conditional. Where on the other hand, if I'm walking with my wife, she's walking with me. It's like, you know what? I'm endeavoring to remain in him with you. She's in, endeavoring to love me as Christ has loved her. And I'm doing the same. I'm endeavoring to respond as he would respond. In the same temperament, in the same spirit, in the same tone, right? If his spirit is working, you can see it in the eyes. You can hear, see it in the countenance, the affect. You can see, hear it in the tone and the voice. You see, oh, there's the fruit of the spirit. There it is right there. We say, what effect, whatever's working in you, what effect is it having upon your spirit? And then what effect is your spirit having upon the spirits of those around you? God wants his love, his joy and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto us. Our last verse of scripture we're going to look at as we're closing here is Matthew chapter 7. Uh, And again, we'll say once again, ask this question. In regards to conflict, am I willing to be more loving or to be right? What is my motive for time's sake, we're not going to read all five verses, but we're going to go to the, specifically to the verse of Scripture that probably many of you are familiar with. And we're going to pick up in verse 3 where Jesus is saying, he's talking about judging and not being judged, and he says to the person, he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. First remove that plank, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck. We all know, in in essence, what Jesus was referring to when he was talking about the speck. Basically, he's saying something that maybe that person is doing that is offending you, something that's troublesome to you. Maybe they're displaying a certain attitude toward you, something that's just not quite right, something that's done against you. But on the other hand, we could ask the question, what did Jesus mean by the plank? Was he really saying, well, you know, he's got a speck, but you have a, you've got a plank. He, he has one thing, but you've got about 10. I don't think he's saying that. I don't think he's comparing numerically like that. I, I just want to submit to you that is it possible that perhaps he's, he's referring to the plank as the, as the spirit with which that person is going about it. I'm right. I know I'm right about this. But yet he's all wrong. His spirit. He's not. He's, he's being unloving. He is ceasing to love that other person. He is, in essence, withdrawing love from that person because I know I'm right. I'm winning the argument. I'm winning the war. I'm winning the battle, right? But I'm losing the life. I'm, I'm, I'm wrecking the family. I'm wrecking the relationship. I'm blowing my witness. And so 
uh, through withdrawing love. So we may be right, but we could at the same, it's possible to be right and to be incredibly wrong at the same time. Maybe technically right, but the attitude with which it, your argument or yourself, the way we, we present ourselves could be, that's not Jesus. Amen. So we want to work hard. We want to be strong in the Lord. We want to be nice. <laughs> right? And when, when do we need to be nice? We need to be nice when we feel maybe at our worst. And we feel like the least uh, time of being nice. I want to read a quote, and then I'm going to read a short letter here, and we're going to stop. There's a quote that says, God is love. That is love for others. And the moment we fall in love, I'm sorry, the moment we fail in love towards another, we put ourselves out of fellowship with God. For God loves that person even if we're struggling too. Uh, I have a letter I'm going to read. I... I got this letter. I read it for the first time, the first service, first time I'd ever read this in public. Uh, I got this in, in May of 2001, and I, I hadn't seen it for years, and I came across it in my garage just a few, uh, a few about a week or so ago. And uh, this was written from a person that Christian and I went to school with. Uh, we were taking a speech class back in Southern California many years ago. He says, uh, Dear Mickey, this letter has been in my head for over a year. Today, I finally transformed my thoughts into writing to share with you. I first met you when I was an unsaved soul. As you introduced yourself to the speech class, I thought you were going to use your speeches to preach to the class. Then I had a dislike for you because you had seen a flaw in the school system where you could be guaranteed several sermons to a captive audience. You had done nothing to earn my dislike, but my stereotypical vision of a religious person had been placed on you. As class went by, I anticipated what religious lectures you had in store for the class. However, every time I saw you in class or even the first time I stood behind you in line to register for class, I noticed your personality. Before the start of each class, you would giggle and smile with students. In addition, you would make the effort to say hello to me. Then in your speeches, you did not do what I had anticipated. You were down to earth and able to relate to the class. I began to see that religious people are normal and pleasant. So my wife and I soon began attending church every Sunday. And in March of 2000, I was baptized and recognized Jesus as my Savior. He goes on and says some other things. Amen. And like I said, I don't read that to prop me up. I've only got one of these letters in my whole life. <laughs> Paul needs to write me a letter. Stir it up, brother. <laughs> Quit being so timid. <laughs> Amen. Preaching to myself. Preaching to you. Preaching to us all. Amen. Your life makes more difference than you realize. You can be strong in the Lord, you can work hard, and you can be nice. Amen? And not blow your witness, not blow your friendships, and not, not ruin relationships, and still 
represent the Lord and still suffer for Christ <laughs> taking a stand on what the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Father, we do thank you for this word. We do thank you that you do encourage.